Hello, it's 10th of September 2017 and this is episode 41 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So this has been an extremely eventful week for Star Wars in terms of news. Um, but just to ease us into it, how has your week in Star Wars been, Kirsty? It's been good. I finished the Leia book Ooh. and I love it. Um, <laughs> I really want to talk about it with you, but I've heard that you're not going to be able to get your hands on it for a while, which is kind of sad. Yeah, I went into Foils today and they said it's not coming out here until October, which is what? pathetic. <sighs> it's it really is straight bad. up pathetic. It is. It's like, like come on, it's London. Up? It's not like... I don't know, it's not like I'm in Antarctica or something. <laughs> it's like, what's went wrong with the supply lines? It's like, I don't understand how it messed up so badly. Oh yeah, there was actually a funny encounter today because I went into foils to try and find the book. And like, I asked the guy at the checkout and um, when I asked for it, he obviously realised I was a huge Star Wars fan and he made a joke about um, having to order it from Hoff. And I was like, ha ah, yes. And like, it rec- recognised the joke and praised him on his knowledge. And then I went scouting to see if I could find anything else. And they had The Last Jedi colouring book, um, which is a UK exclusive. You don't get it in America. So yeah. it's very special. Um, and, and it's actually quite nice. There's some lovely portraits of Rey and Finn and Rose and Kylo and Hux. And they're very nice. They're clearly based on publicity photos, but they're nice drawings nonetheless. And it was quite cheap. So I thought, oh, what the hell, I'll just pick up. And then I took it to the um, counter. And in a teasing way, he said, this is super sad. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I was like, there's a point where sad just becomes happy you know so let's say about that point yeah i mean I, obviously he was joking but if any americans are listening to this that is british service <laughs> it's like got lots of insults peppered in so um, yeah m- makes you feel good about yourself um, <laughs> but yeah basically the end result of that long rambling story is i do not have leia which sucks because I've heard it's amazing and I really want to read it. But I'm about halfway through Phasma and my goal is to be done with it by next weekend. So fingers crossed that will come to pass. Yeah, I've started Phasma, but I'm very early into it. Like I just haven't really had time to get any deeper. Um, But yeah, hopefully I'll be finished by next week so we can have a proper discussion then. Yeah, there is a hell of a lot to say. It's a really good book, actually. I'm really enjoying it. Awesome. Um. Yeah, and for my week in Star Wars, um, I've been doing lots of scouting, trying to finish up Force Friday shopping. I brought a um, t-shirt from Forbidden Planet today with um, Kylo on it, Um, and it's the dreaded thing known as the unisex t-shirt, which means it's as ugly as sin, (laughs) and the, the fabric is super uncomfortable and rough and itchy, so I don't see myself wearing it much, if at all. But it has that amazing Hamlet shot of Kylo on it. So yeah, it's like I must possess this. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm looking out for one of those. I haven't seen any in the wild here, but I keep looking on websites. For, yeah, to find it because it's such a good pose. I really wish they'd put these designs on ladies' shirts as well. It really annoys me because they must be aware that Kylo has lots of female fans. 
you know. So give us the t-shirts with freaking Kylo on it. It's not hard, you know. I tend to actually not buy women's. I tend to buy small men's. Right. Um, I'm wearing one right now from Fifth Son, and I like the oversized look. But um, yeah, I know what you mean. Like if it's a popular character, it should be on both, really. Yeah. Um, right, before we roll into the very, very big and portentous news that has broken over the course of this week, I'd just get the business out of the way. Um, if you haven't done so already, please do rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps us out and we are eternally grateful to you for your support. So thank you. And if you have any questions for the podcast, you can email them to scavengershorde at gmail.com. Right, then the first story, a very, very big, important story is that Colin Trevorrow is out as the director of episode 9 and we have this very very short announcement from starwars.com confirming this and they say Lucasfilm and Colin Trevorrow have mutually chosen to part ways on Star Wars episode 9 Colin has been a wonderful collaborator throughout the development process but we have all come to the conclusion that our visions for the project differ we wish Colin the best and we'll be sharing more information about the film soon. Wow. <laughs> so, initial thoughts on this, Kirsty. Like, what was your first feeling when you read this news? Well, I was actually on another podcast earlier this week to talk about it. I was on Nights of Rant with mm-hmm. CT and Solo. So, thank you for having me on. I had a great time. Uh, but I'm going to really try not to be too repetitive here, which I'm probably not going to succeed at. Um, but essentially... I I do feel a bit relieved about this because people who've listened to our show for a while, they know that we've had discussions about whether we really think Colin Trevorrow was the right choice. We don't (laughs) Um, for a few different reasons. Um, So it's kind of a mix of like, oh, they finally did it like surprise, but also it totally makes sense for me um, because I just didn't think it was the right choice. And just kind of like how things have been described after like Carrie Fisher passed away, so they had to rewrite the script. It, and, you know, we had the news recently, it was relatively recently, right, about Jack Fawn coming on and replacing Derek Connolly as writer. Yeah, that was August. Right, that's really not that long ago. And I don't know, it seems like things have gotten even worse since then. So on one level, you can understand it because Trevorrow and Connolly have um, this long-standing working partnership. So if one leaves, the other one's probably not going to be very happy about that. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, it's it is what it is, I suppose. I mean, it's part of a larger pattern going on at Lucasfilm now, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, God, I actually first saw this news straight after coming out of the cinema, having seen Detroit, which is the new Catherine Bigelow film with John Boyega. It's a great, great film, by the way. I'd really recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it already. Um, and I checked my phone, and I think it was on Reddit that I first saw it. And I was like, holy shit, they <laughs> did it. They pulled the trigger. And I I almost had to like pinch myself. It was a really surreal feeling because, God, I feel like for months I've been trying to talk myself around to just accepting it and making the best of the situation. It's like I went to see The Book of Henry and even though The Book of Henry is a terrible film, I was watching it and desperately trying to see the good qualities in the book of Henry. <laughs> so I was thinking, okay, it looks good. It's quite competent from a visual perspective. So yay. Um, but that really was trying to 
do the whole Pollyanna thing, you know, like see the best in everything, be optimistic, right. hope for the best. Because at that point, I really didn't think they would get rid of him. Like I thought they would if it were absolutely necessary because the Lord and Miller situation showed that Kathy Kennedy has like no limits on the point at which she will eject people if she thinks they're doing a bad job. Um, but I thought that Colin Trevorrow was enough of like a team player and enough of a people pleaser to be able to stay on board and to keep people sweet. Um, but yeah, for what I'm sure are very complicated and intense reasons, which are very interesting, but we do not yet fully understand, things went very badly wrong and he ended up getting shown the door. Um, and yeah, I'm just still in disbelief, but I am really relieved because I don't like any of Colin Trevorrow's films, if I'm being completely honest. Um, not even Safety Not Guaranteed, which I know is generally considered to be a pretty good film, like a nice little indie. I found the film obnoxious. I have to make a confession too, uh-huh. similar to yours, in that I never actively like loved the film. It was mm. just my favourite of his, and I was trying to pick things out from it that I could see, I could start to understand why Kathleen Kennedy chose him. Yeah. So on, on a thematic level, or like some levels of the characterization and things like that. But really deep down, I was still thinking, this is only okay. Yeah. Um, and I've said before, Jurassic World is just not my kind of thing either. Um, yeah. So it's it's interesting because on one hand, you're relieved and, okay, yes, I do think this is the right choice. But then also it raises the interesting question of why was he hired in the first place? Yeah. And it does seem to, like, just from a complete outsider's perspective, and I know this is this is what people on the internet do, they give their own warranted, uninformed opinion. Um, but it seems to be more about how he's made connections in Hollywood than actual talent. Yeah. Because he was chosen for Jurassic World personally by Steven Spielberg, and then he was very tight with Spielberg, who is very tight with Kathleen Kennedy. So it's it's, you know, it's who you know, which is obviously a big part of how Hollywood works in the first place. But I think we're going to get this kind of interesting um, microcosm of what that really means here, like that it could have resulted in a subpar episode nine because of the way Hollywood operates with that preference over people's connections as opposed to their actual artistic ability. Yeah, exactly. Because Colin Trevorrow, he always seemed like a... Like, he he was, like, competent, you know? He could clearly make and deliver a movie according to schedule, according to budget. And those things alone are very, very important in Hollywood because there's lots of directors who just can't hack it. It's, it's an incredibly challenging job. And it's even harder to actually make a movie with the money that you are allocated in the first instance because so many projects go over budget and stuff. And I think Trevorrow was known for being very conscientious when it came to that kind of thing, which put him in good stead essentially but being good in those ways doesn't mean you have like creative flair or like the ability to come up with a really strong original compelling story um and none of Trevorrow's previous films have shown the kind of skill and imagination and talent that I'd really want to see from a Star Wars director so if you look at Ryan Johnson there's so much like visual flair and imagination and originality in every single one of his films even the ones that are a bit more patchy and might have more things wrong with them there's always something really cool and interesting going on that makes me think wow i like this guy i want to see more of his work he's really interesting as a filmmaker 
and just with Trevorrow I don't get any of that and and I, I I feel guilty saying all this because it's like piling on Colin Trevorrow and basically like letting out all this like negativity I've had about him for a long time but at the same time it's quite cathartic because I feel like for the longest time I was trying to suppress this and hide my true feelings because I didn't want to like be the naysayer and be the person who was putting the most negative spin possible on the situation. But now I feel like it's okay to say these things because, well, the situation's changed and he's not going to be directing anymore. So I can finally come clean and say, well, actually, this is how I felt for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I know it. the, St- the Star Wars fandom at the moment is having a major love-in with Ryan Johnson. Yeah. Um, we don't have the film yet, but everyone is very sure that it's going to be a great film. Um, but even like that aside, just the way you can look at his existing body of work, there's a point of view there. There's artistry. Yeah. Like he, he's trying to say something. He has a vision. Whereas when I look at Colin Trevorrow's work, I don't, there's nothing like, um, I'm really not articulating myself well here, but there's, I'm just not sure what he's trying to say or yeah. what his point of view is um, beyond the misogyny that we've talked about before which yeah. is not something that i'm particularly interested in exploring or consuming um so yeah i sorry i'm getting tongue twisted but i just don't feel like the two are really comparable in terms of their work as an artist yeah um, because i do think that ryan johnson is very interested in certain themes and he's interested in delving into characters and um like understand like the way that he talks about star wars as well it's clear that he has a respect for the mythology that's come before, but isn't trying to be too nostalgic with it, that he's trying to focus on the characters that we have now, the new ones, and where their stories might go. Yeah. Uh, but I always felt that Colin Trevorrow, while very well-spoken in interviews, was kind of just trying to appease people by saying what they he, he felt they wanted him to say. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, Ray's really important to me, and with no real depth there as to why. Yeah, no, I kind of found that. I felt like there was lots of lip service going on. I think that you're absolutely right in that whereas Ryan Johnson makes art, Colin Trevorrow makes products. It's kind of like the difference between going to like a nice little independent restaurant like that's family owned and makes it all with like fresh ingredients and then going to McDonald's. <laughs> that kind of feels like the dichotomy between Ryan Johnson and Colin Trevorrow. And that's, it's too extreme and it's a bit unfair because I know for a fact that Colin Trevorrow cares a lot about his films and he, he puts a huge amount of like effort and investment into all of his films. So I know the Book of Henry in particular was a passion project for him. But it doesn't change the fact that he just has these very bizarre like tastes and like instincts as a filmmaker it's like we talked about it before when i was discussing the book of henry but that is a film that is horribly ill-conceived and it features like the most bizarre scenarios and the most weird character choices and it's the kind of film that makes you look at it and question what earth attracted any director to this project what did they see in this what made them want to do this and is worrying if you look at a film and you think that, you know? Yeah, um, I never saw the film, but listening to him talk about it, it was almost like he took it on as a challenge to himself because it seemed so bizarre. Yeah. Which is honestly a strange career decision, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. It seems like a fatal career decision, to be honest, <laughs> at this point, because I'm pretty sure that 
the reception of the Book of Henry did not help matters, to put it mildly. <laughs> yeah, I doubt it was like a defining factor, but it pro- if it had like been, you know, one of the best movies of the year, that might have helped as opposed yeah. to him. Being, exactly. Um, so it basically shook everyone's faith in him instead of consolidating faith, which is what people desperately needed to happen. And yeah, so I'm sure it probably shook Kathleen Kennedy's faith as well because yeah, he can talk the talk and I'm sure he did like promise a great story and come up with a good idea and say all the right things when he was pitching for episode 9 like years ago. So it was in 2015 that he was hired. Like there's a big difference between being able to do a good pitch and being able to write a good script and deliver a good movie. Um because I think in the past, scripting has been one of Tavari's weakest points. And Derek Connolly, he's really not a good scriptwriter either. He wrote Monster Trucks, which is famously awful. <laughs> and they just, as scriptwriters, they don't seem to have any interest in like character at all. It's all very workmanlike and very like reliant on stereotypes and old tropes and... There's just no interest in psychology or digging deep, which seems to be at the core of what Ryan Johnson is interested in. And I think it ultimately results in like films that are quite shallow and characters who are a bit like feeble and uninteresting because they're just so predictable. I do wonder if after episode eight and seeing how smoothly that production seems to have gone and how they seem so excited about what Ryan's done, they look at Colin Trevorrow's um, treatment or the writing so far in comparison and think, oh, it's actually more lacking than we thought. Yeah. Uh, because this is what's going to follow episode eight. And if The Last Jedi is amazing, they don't want to have it lower in quality. They they want to raise the stakes and have it be even more impressive, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you can't like leave the trilogy out on a whimper, <laughs> basically. You can't have this amazing middle instalment. And then be like, oh, yeah, we kind of shut the bed with the last one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, like I'm sure that is really the central concern at the core of all this. Because that's what I hope everyone at Lucasfilm considers to be the most important thing. Making a damn good film. You know, so it's clear that they're all incredibly confident in episode eight. And that they're really, really happy with the work Ryan has done. As you've said, Kirsty, And they clearly want to have similar confidence in episode nine. And I think for whatever reason, Trevorrow wasn't giving them that confidence. Um, I feel at this point, it's really, really important to say, like in the interest of fairness to everyone, not just Trevorrow, but also Kathleen Kennedy, because she's come under a lot of fire for this (laughs) succession of firings. And yeah, just what seems to be, an indication of like bad judgment or like bad hiring decisions. Like, it's really important to say that I imagine many things changed when Carrie Fisher died because they clearly had one vision for the story where Leia was going to be a central part of it. Mm-hmm. And I expect that was a big part of what Colin's pitch was about. I'm sure his pitch was like heavily reliant on Leia serving a crucial role and interacting with the other characters in really important big ways. Um, but after Carrie died, that obviously changed. So Colin's pitch will have had to have changed. And I think it's very, very plausible that the pitch he delivered without Leia 
wasn't as good or strong as, or compelling as the pitch he had delivered in the first instance, the one that actually got Kathleen Kennedy to hire him. Like, do you think that's probably fair to say, Kirsty? Yeah, I do think that's an element of what's happened because if you look at the way that they structured the trilogy, you had The Force Awakens, which was Hans, then they have Luke's, and then Leia's. So it's really unfortunate the way that that's panned out. Um, and the story would have gone very differently had they been able to predict the future, but obviously they couldn't. Um, so yeah, that would change the emphasis of episode nine. And presumably they don't want to change it so much that it um, irrevocably changes the arcs of the new characters, but somehow they can't have Leia as the um, thing that connects all that together now. Yeah. The way that Luke, Luke will connect the stories of Rey, Kylo and Finn in The Last Jedi, they can't have the same for episode nine. So we've been saying maybe they'll just have Luke um, fill that role, but it's not just simply interchangeable because the dynamics are obviously different. Leia is Kylo's mum. Yeah. So um, it's not that easy. And obviously they're having a harder time of it than they thought if they had to bring in Jack Thorne. And there have been rumours that whatever was presented then still isn't up to scratch. So now they're having to make more changes. Yeah. Um, be interesting to see what happens because if they're if they're bringing in a new director that director might end up writing it themselves or they'll bring in yet another writer um it still seems like things are very in flux but looking on the bright side i know there's been a pattern here obviously of them changing out directors but at least this was before they started filming yeah exactly they've done it at a relatively good time when there's still time to avoid horribly extensive reshoots and like retrofitting things basically which is what had to happen with Rogue One and the Han Solo movie because that's not in anyone's interests and it's incredibly expensive and incredibly messy and incredibly ugly from a publicity point of view like don't be wrong this is really ugly from a publicity point of view it doesn't look good for anyone but it's much worse when you fire your directors like a few weeks before filming is due to wrap which is what mm. happened with Lord and Miller so, yeah, it happened at a better time, at least. Yeah, I wonder if they'll end up pushing back the date till December 2019. Mm, I think, like you alluded to, that will very much depend on who they get to take the project on and whether they want to do like a complete rewrite on the script. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about that in a bit. So we're going to discuss like potential replacements um, in a separate part. Um Gosh, there's so much to say on this. I just have so many thoughts. My mind's a whirl. Um, yeah, I think the best place to go to after this is something we've kind of alluded to, but it's good to have like a concrete report on it. Um, there's a story from The Hollywood Reporter, and basically it dug a bit deeper into the reasons for why like this had happened, basically, why Trevorrow had been fired. And it goes... Sources tell The Hollywood Reporter that script issues have continued to be a sore spot throughout Episode 9's development, with Trevorrow having repeated stabs at multiple drafts. In August, Jack Fawn, the British scribe who wrote the upcoming Julia Roberts' Jacob Tremblay movie Wonder, was tapped to work on the script. Sources say that the working relationship between Trevorrow and Lucasfilm head Kathleen Kennedy became unmanageable. Kennedy who had already been through one director fire and replacement on the Han Solo spin-off movie, was not eager for a sequel and tried to avoid this decision. <laughs> Shock. 
Do you want to read the Vulture article as well, Kirsty? Because I think it's probably a good idea to discuss them both at once. Yeah. Um, During the making of Jurassic World, he focused a great deal of his creative energies on asserting his opinion, (laughs) the executive explains. But because he had been personally hired by Spielberg, nobody could say, you're fired. Once that film went through the roof and he chose to do Henry, Trevor... (laughs) Sometimes I find that name really difficult to pronounce. It is hard. Trevorrow, or was it Trevorrow? I never know which one, um, (laughs) was unbearable. He had an egotistical point of view, and he was always asserting that. Then, during pre-production on episode 9, Trevorrow's relationship with Lucasfilm Top Brass became reportedly unmanageable over the course of repeated stabs at multiple drafts of the script. When the reviews for Book of Henry came out, there was immediately conjecture that Kathy was going to dump him because they weren't thrilled with him with working with him anyway, the executive continues. He's a difficult guy. He's really, really, really confident. Let's call it that. There's one gatekeeper when it comes to Star Wars, and it's Kathleen Kennedy, says a veteran movie producer who has worked with the studio chief. If you rub Kathleen Kennedy the wrong way, in any way, you're out. You're done. A lot of these young new directors want to come in and say, I want to do this. I want to do that. A lot of these guys, Lord and Miller, Colin Trevorrow, got very rich, very fast, and believed a lot of their own hype. And they don't want to play by the rules. They want to do shit differently. And Kathleen Kennedy isn't going to f*** around with that. (laughs) I want that on a t-shirt. No, even better, I want Kathleen Kennedy to wear a t-shirt that says, I don't f*** around. (laughs) (laughs) And she should wear that, like, at the premiere to The Last Jedi. (laughs) That'd be amazing. Yeah, it's becoming a bit of an iconic line. <laughs> oh, it's also gossipy, this. Wow. Yeah, um, I mean, clearly she runs a tight ship, right? Which she should. Mm, definitely. Lucasfilm, they're, they're still kind of in this early phase with their new partnership with Disney. Um, so they had this initiative where they were going to hire these young, fresh directors and like allow them to bring their creative flair to projects. But that's not always going to work out. And I think overall, if you look at it statistically at this point, you can say arguably that that initiative is a failure. And yeah. if, they're, if they're going with <clears throat> old reliable favorites like Ron Howard now, although that's only one so far, we'll see who they end up choosing for episode nine now, I suppose, and the, and the next spinoff. Um, yeah, it's, it's, gonna, it's interesting times. It really is. Um like all of this stuff it's very important to say this is all very much from the Lucasfilm point of view mm-hmm. we're not hearing anything from Trevor's camp we didn't really hear anything from Lord and Miller after what happened with them either no. so I have to wonder if it's just part of the contracts that they can't go around telling people what really happened I think that's very likely to be the case I think they probably signed NDAs um, and that they're really not allowed to talk about the experience of working with Lucasfilm on these movies at all um they might be able to allude to it because people are going to ask them questions about this naturally um but i doubt we'll hear anything for a while because that won't happen for some time and trevaro in particular he's gone very very quiet on social media so yeah he's not going to be answering questions about it there let's put it that way um but yeah like i must say reading these kinds of reports they do 
like match up with the impression I was getting of like the kind of personality that Trevor was. And again, this is all just like armchair psychology, you know, that don't read too much into my opinion or my observations of things. But like the way Trevor dealt with like fans saying things to him on Twitter, you could tell that he was very defensive. So like if a fan like pointed out that they weren't sure he was the best choice or something. He'd say, like, that's really hurtful or something like that. Um, you probably have a better recollection of what happened than I do, Kirsty. But I remember him being very defensive about fans, like, doing what he perceived to be attacking him. Um, and, yeah, with Ryan Johnson, like, people still say nasty things to him and mean things. But he just deals with it in a completely different way. And he seems so chill and so relaxed and he's always extremely fair and extremely calm and understanding and he just comes across very well you know in a way that Trevor doesn't so much I I really am hesitant to like project onto these people that I don't know (laughs) just the way that they came across in their various personas and and they are personas you know people like yeah differently in public and on social media than they would in their personal lives so it's you know I'm trying to be careful here but you're right in that um Ryan seems to have a confidence in what he's produced. Yes. So he seems genuinely excited for people to see it. And when he interacts with fans, he seems to enjoy it. Even the ones who are, as we'll talk about later, being quite critical or questioning of like where he's taking the story. Um, he's sticking by what he's done. And he's like, I hope you enjoy it. It might not be exactly what you're expecting, but you know, I, I'm proud of what I've done. Whereas Colin Again, at this point, he hasn't started shooting or he wouldn't have been starting shooting. Now he's not going to. But you know what I mean? Mm. Um, He just seems to kind of almost internalize the criticism, which I feel for him because that can't be easy to deal with that. Like there's, you know, I I don't know what it's like to be that much in the public eye and have your work scrutinized on that level. Yeah. Um, But if you have a confidence in your in your art, it should be kind of water off a duck's back. Yeah. And if he is projecting this kind of confidence, is it genuine or is it like a bit of a bravado thing? Because he, I don't know if you were really that sure of your own work, you wouldn't need to be, as you say, being defensive to fans on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Because at the end of the day, they're like ants, to be honest. Like, what does their opinion matter? Like, because I get like, obviously I am not a film director. <laughs> My position is light years away from like, anyone like Ryan Johnson or Colin Trevorrow, but I have a popular styles blog and I get messages from people who follow it. And a lot of the time those messages are really nasty and people make like really rude personal comments. But I'm just at the point where I'm like, meh, and I'll just delete it or it completely ignore its existence. Because what is it to me if someone wants to be rude to me or wants to make this unreasonable comment about something I've said or something I've posted, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think when you have any level of exposure, it's very important to develop a thick skin like that. Like I say, I don't want to like excuse people being assholes because I don't think that's ever okay, but it's just the nature of the beast. You know, you're not going to be able to be on social media as a film director and not have people being critical and people questioning your every move and questioning your work and finding fault in your films, you know? So you need to be prepared to deal with that in a very like mature and reasoned way. 
And yeah, I think Ryan has that ability, whereas Colin seemed to struggle with that more. Yeah, I mean, as the article pointed out, the only person who he really needed to concern himself with regarding the opinion of his work was Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah. And it sounds like that's not panned out. She wasn't impressed with what she saw. Mm. Um, and their working relationship soured. Yeah. Um, probably never get the full details on why we won't probably see what he had planned for episode nine, because that's just not the way it seems to work. Yeah. Um, we've just got to wait and see what the alternative is. Exactly. Um, one thing that's really interesting to me is that this whole episode, it does really say to me that Kathleen Kennedy does have certain ideas about where things should go, like creatively for these films, because even the official statement from the Stars website, it makes it clear that it's down to creative differences and it's down to a difference in vision for what the film should be. And I actually find that quite reassuring because... Ryan has quite naturally been stressing how much creative freedom he had and that it was completely up to him what story he was going to be able to tell with The Last Jedi, which is great. And from an artist's perspective, that's exactly what you want. But I think the fact that Kathleen Kennedy has been making these hard decisions and has been butting heads with these creatives, that really does indicate that she has very strong ideas about how things should go as well. I don't necessarily mean in the sense that she's looming over their shoulders as they write the script and saying, oh no, I don't like that line of dialogue, change that. I think it's more like she has to be able to trust the director to tell the right kind of story and to tell a story that makes sense and feels right given what's gone before mm-hmm. and what the values of Star Wars are and its place in like the popular culture and stuff. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm yeah. a bit. No, like Kathleen Kennedy has said before, even before The Force Awakens came out, she has said things that allude to some kind of understanding of the overall arc of the trilogy, however yeah. vague. Um, so, yeah, I believe Ryan when he says he's had creative freedom, but I also think there's been a collaborative process going on there that he's worked with the story group. He's had sign-off from Kathleen Kennedy. More than sign-off, she loves what he's done. But yeah. if it had been the other way and she hadn't liked what he'd done, she would have let him know. Yeah. Um, and obviously that's what's happened with Colin, that she just wasn't happy with what she was seeing. Because at the end of the day, this is not just a studio project, it's the biggest franchise in the world. Yeah. Like Anyone who genuinely thinks that they get to play in this sandbox with no consequences and like no regard for the overall wider values of Star Wars is kidding themselves because that's not what it is. It's, you know, it's decades in the making of this mythology. So that's why there's a story group in the first place. It's not just about preserving canon facts as in like what ship was being used at what time. Um, But it's about having this group of people with an understanding of what Star Wars means in these various capacities and just making sure that the content is acceptable within those boundaries. Yeah. And they're going to push things and be creative. but I just think we've seen two kind of different sides of this coin that Ryan has had creative freedom because he worked well with the people at Lucasfilm and put something together that's incredible. Whereas if it goes the other way, they're just quite happy to say, actually, this isn't working out and we need to make some changes. Yeah. I think we're coming towards the end, really, of what there is to say about 
Colin Ferraro leaving the project. I guess one last thing I'd like to talk about is the whole situation with Jack Fawn being brought in to do a polish on the script because there was a separate report. Um, it wasn't even really a report. It was some comments made on the Slash Film podcast and they have their own sources and people in Hollywood that they talk to. And they had heard that Jack Fawn was essentially brought in to replace Derek Connolly as Trevor's writing partner. And that was new information. That wasn't reported when Jack Fawn was first brought on. Um, because those reports just mentioned him like doing a polish. It was all very like vague and they made it sound very routine, you know, mm-hmm. so it didn't sound too alarming then. But what the Slash Film podcast people said was that it looked like Derek Connolly had been booted and that that was what had really got Trevorrow's blood boiling because obviously Trevorrow and Derek Connolly, they had this long-standing creative partnership. So I think they've worked together on all of Trevorrow's films. And I think that's quite natural because if you've always worked with this guy and then you're told, look, we do not like the work you are producing together, we need to replace him. I, I think it's very understandable on a human level why you'd be upset by that. Um, but yeah, like that, I think it's the perfect illustration of a situation where they tried to fix it before it got impossible, but yeah, they clearly, it clearly still didn't work. Yeah, exactly. Like that was the podcast that I listened to as well. I think I, yeah, I mentioned it earlier that it does seem to have been more than just a polish that things just hadn't been working out. And I'm guessing the changing with later is a big part of that. Yeah, that they had to completely change the emphasis of certain parts of the story. Um, so exactly. yeah, I mean, there's an, a loyalty issue there if he's worked with him over and over again, and then they, he kind of sees them as I don't know what the term would be, double act, I guess. Yes, um, and it doesn't work out that way because Lucasfilm aren't going to hold that same sentiment that he does. Um, yeah, and he gets upset about him leaving. It's going to have implications for the ongoing relationship there. Yeah. I think my main feeling of all of this is I really want to see the film of all the behind scenes drama at Lucasfilm. You know, that would be a great film. I just don't think we're ever going to get it. (laughs) I don't think so. I I think in like 30 years time, I think we might get like some huge, like intense, detailed expose, like going deep into the behind the scenes story because we have like properly detailed, complete, behind-the-scenes accounts of the making of the original trilogy. Yeah, but I think that's a different situation. They weren't Disney then. That's true. Yeah, I just think it's a very different PR game now. Like, the way that they've cancelled these various making-of books. Yeah. Uh, J.W. Rinsler's blog was taken down. There is this <laughs> level of secrecy that it's like, we just don't talk about it. It's the Disney mafia at work, Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what I think. Yeah. No, it really does seem like that. It's absurd, but it, absurd to the point of being quite funny, really, because, yeah, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then the next story to cover is that Ryan Johnson is at the top of the shortlist of directors to replace Trevor Ohm. And this is from The Hollywood Reporter. Put Ryan Johnson atop the shortlist of directors who might replace the recently departed Colin Trevorrow in Star Wars Episode Nine. Insiders said that nothing is done yet, but that prospect is certainly in the air right now. The Looper Helmer fits seamlessly into the Lucasfilm machine, which is no small feat given the number of star directors who've been chewed up and spat out under the creative differences line in exiting Star Wars movies. 
Um, yeah, I would be so thrilled if Ryan did it. And again, I know it sounds a bit presumptuous because we haven't seen The Last Jedi. It might be horrible, but I really don't think that's the case. Everything I've heard has just given me supreme confidence in the film and Ryan's ability to really get Star Wars and produce like a really fantastic movie. Um, so yeah, if he were to take it on, I would be so happy. What about you, Kirsty? What's your opinion on Ryan Johnson potentially replacing him? It seems like there's a good chance of it happening. I mean, mm-hmm. based like every, like you say, everyone seems to be very happy with him. Um, yeah. I would just say, from a personal perspective, I would like eventually, or at least sometime soon, really, um, to see a female director. Yes. Um, especially in a trilogy where we have a female lead. Even mm. better if it's a woman of colour, because obviously we have Finn too. Like, I just, I don't know. I know that's yeah. not the all and end all, but I do feel like there's a bit of a concern with the diversity over directors and writers at Lucasfilm. Yeah. Um, I know Kathleen Kennedy said in the past that they do want that to happen. They just want to make sure that they're set up for a success. But this seems like it would be a good opportunity, because if you've, if you have these two strong films that come before it, you can say that that's setting someone up for success. You have these amazing characters and an exciting arc that you're just kind of responsible for rounding off. Um, yeah. So we'll see. I mean, yeah, I, w- I would be happy if it was Ryan, but event- like, maybe if it's not an episode nine, it's a spin-off or whatever, but I would like them to eventually start making some um, more interesting, more diverse choices. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I like you. I really, really want to see some fresh voices. I really want to see a female director or a director of color. Like that would be amazing. I think my concern is that this decision, while it still happened before production started, which is good, is is still pretty late because they're really deep into pre-production, and they were meant to be beginning the shoot in January. And while I'd be shocked to be honest if they still start to shoot in January. Um, like I think they're still going to need to bring someone in who is already in that world and already really like knows where they stand with the sequel trilogy and has a really strong sense of where the story should go and where the characters should go and based on that like I really think it's down to J.J. Abrams or Ryan Johnson like I think it would be really tough to bring in a completely new director and then have to like bring them up to speed with exactly where the story stands and what the like ultimate goals are for the franchise and what the values are of this new trilogy and the messages they want to impart with it etc etc i think that would be a huge huge challenge for just a completely new person to come in and get to grips with and yeah like i think i'd be so intimidated if i were just a newbie like coming into that world i don't mean like a f- new director i just mean a director who has not previously done a star wars film i guess just thinking about it now whatever they choose it's almost inevitable to me that they're going to push back the date because practically just thinking about it from a practical perspective ryan is now going to be ramping up with press for the last jedi mm-hmm. so how do they start shooting in january or at least early 2018 if he still has to write a script because Ryan yeah. Johnson writes his own work. Yeah. I can't, I can't really, he might work with a writer, but I feel like if he did it, he would still want to be heavily involved in that process. Yeah. Um. And yeah, he's going to be pretty busy from now until December. Yeah. If Ryan Johnson takes on the film, I would, 
I would expect a few things. I would expect him to be given lighter press duties for The Last Jedi because ultimately the cast was always going to carry the main burden in terms of that, like doing all the press junkets and stuff. Mm. Like, and while I'm sure Ryan Johnson would still do press, it would be more selective. It wouldn't be like he were at every single premiere across the world, you know? Yeah. Um, so they'd try to lessen the load on him as much as possible in that sense. And I think that they would have to push the film back to December 2019 at the earliest because, like you say, Ryan Johnson likes to write his own material, which is great because he writes damn good scripts. Um, but he has also in the past said he's quite slow at writing because they gave him a long time to write The Last Jedi script. I think he came on board for The Last Jedi in 2014, I think. And so he had like about 18 months to write that script, essentially, from the earliest stages of conceiving what that story would be to actually handing in a final shooting script. Mm. So he had a long, long time. And while I think he probably could speed it up, especially now he's so familiar with that world and those characters, and I'm sure he has ideas about where they should go and what kind of ending would be right for their stories, Like he still needs to write that script. Because I know that if I were in his position, I wouldn't want to like pick up the pieces of Trevor's script, which was apparently very flawed and considered very problematic for whatever reason and then have to try and dig out the good from that I'd rather just start completely fresh and put completely my stamp on it Um, because yeah otherwise you kind of feel like you're stepping into another man's slippers and an eerie feeling right and I do wonder it's probably hard not to think about where you would take things next for these characters right yeah if you've been in that headspace for so long even though you say, oh, well, you know, it's up to the next director. I'm not dictating anything for them. That's their choice. Still, even like from a fan fiction-y thing, like in your head, you would think, oh, yeah, that's what I would have happen next. You know, that really feels right for these characters and what's going on. Yeah. So maybe it would be an exciting opportunity for him. Yeah, because like when it was originally announced, the plan was for Ryan to write the treatment for episode nine. Yeah. So basically come up with the complete story for that film. But later on on Twitter, Ryan said, oh, no, I wasn't involved in the story at all. But based on all this behind-the-scenes drama of Trevorrow, and this is speculation, I haven't read anything solid indicating this, but my speculation is that what might have happened is that Ryan Johnson actually wrote a treatment for episode 9 alongside his treatment and script for episode 8. But then when Trevorrow came on, he was like, Actually, I'd rather just tell completely my own story and my own script. Thank you very much, because that was what Ryan got to do, and I want to do the same thing. Mm. And that, in the interest of fairness, they were like, okay, let's hear your story, and we'll let you write the script, and so on and so forth. Um, So it wouldn't surprise me if Ryan Johnson did actually write a treatment for episode nine, but Trevorrow didn't want to use it. So that's more what he meant when he said that he didn't like write the story for episode nine because he wrote a story but not the one that was actually going to be used yes because i think i remember when he responded to that tweet asking him about it he said something like that's outdated information yeah so not not that it was incorrect but it's no longer correct yeah so the, the treatment that they tried decided to go for wasn't his yeah so i think it's possible you're right there yeah yeah so i'm sure it wouldn't have been a quality thing because Again, we've been hearing nothing but ecstatic praise for Ryan Johnson's script for The Last Jedi. So I'd imagine that his 
treatment for episode nine was very good. Just that Trevorrow wanted to do his own thing. Yeah. And, yeah. Like they let him, which was definitely a mistake, but yeah, <laughs> here my- we are. Obviously at this point he would need to start from scratch anyway, even with that treatment he had, because it would have no doubt involved Leia to a certain extent. So Yeah, exactly. But at least it's something so that he could presumably draw upon ideas and concepts that were in that treatment. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, um besides Ryan, because obviously it's not a done deal that Ryan will take it because it's a hell of a thing, you know? He's just come off years and years of his life dedicated to making The Last Jedi. So it'd be very natural for him to just want a very well-deserved break at this point and be like, no, I'm going to go off to the Bahamas for three months. Thank you very much. So yeah, <laughs> um, so yeah it's still a big question mark as to whether he'd even want to do it or feel prepared to do it at this stage because he, the poor man really deserves a break. Um, so if he doesn't do it, what other names would you like to consider like are there specific people you'd be happy with or there aren't to be honest i'm trying to keep an open mind um yeah i'm not as up on all the new directors as you and to be honest it sounds like they probably wouldn't go for a newcomer at this stage um so really they probably have their choice of most people in hollywood right like if if you have the chance to direct a star wars film you're probably going to take it yeah. Um, so I'm just going to try and keep an open mind and see where they go. But you yeah. probably have more interesting ideas than me. Yeah, like, it's always a question of, like, would the interesting directors want to do it? Because, like you say, obviously many people dream of directing a Star movie. But, again, like all these articles are pointing out, Lucasfilm are developing a really bad reputation for getting rid of their directors. And that isn't very appealing if you're a creative director. Like, um... Taika Waititi, um, whose name I just completely butchered. I'm so sorry. He's the guy who's directing for Ragnarok and he mm-hmm. did Hunt for the Wilder People and so on and so forth. Um, like he like tweeted about the whole episode nine situation was like <laughs> laughing my ass off. Um, I would like to actually finish my movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that is going to be the attitude, to be honest, because yeah, I would not sure I'd want to do it either because. Yeah, I'd be frightened. I'd be like treading on eggshells, you know, like, oh gosh, please don't shoot me. Oh no. Yeah, it's an interesting thing now, isn't it? Because it looks like, okay, they're not going to want to take their chances on these young, relatively inexperienced directors who would maybe go to more experimental places. But if you're an older, more established, successful director, what's in it for you? You can, you can say, oh yeah, I directed a Star Wars film. But if the perception is that you didn't really get to call the shots anyway, even if you ended up feeling like you did because everything went smoothly, there's still this thing in your back of your mind that it's like it's a it's a Lucasfilm project as opposed to your project. Yeah, because that's the narrative I'm seeing emerging a lot of the time that, oh, I'm Lucasfilm Disney. They're not interested in actually making creative original movies they're just interested in making like marketable products that people want to consume and of course these movies are products you know they're billion dollar movies so naturally they're designed to be profitable that's the bottom line we all have to remember they answered as shareholders and the force awakens was what one of the most successful films ever yeah like they're going to want to keep emulating that success so even something that seems successful by other film comparisons is not going to be successful compared to the force awakens and that's yeah. what their shareholders are going to think like it really does come down to money at the end of the day 
I know we don't it want does. to think about that as fans, but that's the reality. There are very rich people who want to become even richer because of this. They yeah. don't. They don't care about the story. They don't. They don't. No. Like those are the people ultimately calling the shots. But while Kathleen Kennedy and Bob Iger the answer to the shareholders, I do also believe that Kathleen Kennedy, especially, really is invested in making like good movies. Oh yeah, and she is for sure. Meaningful. Like, mythic movies I, I know you're not saying she isn't um but i think there is at least someone in the lucasfilm who's invested in that and is really looking out for it from that perspective um which is so important and i think it's important to say that because some people really do act like that's not the case and... oh definitely and i i just think i'm very <laughs> i'm being very cynical here but i am bracing myself as a fan for the inevitable, we're going to get a bad Star Wars film at some point because we're getting a new film every year. Yeah. Chances are one of them's going to be bad. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so it'll just be interesting to see when that happens because if they, at the end of the day, if they have to keep cranking them out, um, the quality can't be amazing all the time because they have yeah. to find different people to work on each project. And yeah. So. Exactly. Oh boy. But yeah, exciting times and hopefully by the time we record the next podcast we will have our director for episode 9. So yeah, that will be another very interesting conversation. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that we would have one by now because of what happened with the Han Solo. Um, yeah. they, they announced Ron Howard pretty quickly and even before that there were strong rumours that it was going to be him anyway. Yeah. Um, now, Ryan Johnson is basically the only one in the running in terms of the rumours that are going on because... Uh, I know some people have been floating the idea of JJ, but I think that was shut down. I think someone said that that's just not something that he's interested in doing. But we'll see. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's very exciting times. Um, and yeah, they're on like the precipice of something. As long as it's not Joss Whedon. Like I saw a um, fake news article on Reddit like saying Joss Whedon announced his episode 9 director. And I was like, oh, F no. No, that wouldn't <laughs> be happening right now. <laughs> That'd be like the worst PR move ever. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, right. And then the next story is an interview with Ryan Johnson, courtesy of the New York Times. And this is a really cool and interesting interview. It's very long originally, so I've cut it down to some of the more interesting questions and responses. Um, but yeah, Kirsty, would you maybe mind like asking the questions? So the ones in bold, and then I'll provide the answers. Just sure. to spice it up a bit. Cool. How much of the story of The Last Jedi was dictated to you, either by events in The Force Awakens or by Lucasfilm? I had figured there would be a big map on the wall with the whole story laid out, and it was not that at all. I was basically given the script for Episode 7, I got to watch dailies of what JJ was doing, and it was like, where do we go from here? That was awesome. So there's no one telling you that your film has to contain certain plot points, or that certain things have to be achieved by its end? Nothing like that. But it's the second film in a trilogy. The first film got these tr characters here. The second movie has to dig into and challenge these characters. I wanted this to be a satisfying experience onto itself. I didn't want it to end with a dot 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 question mark. What inspiration did you draw from the raw footage of The Force Awakens? Rey and Kylo are almost two halves of our protagonist. It's not like Kylo is our Vader. In the original trilogy, Vader is the father, he's the one you're afraid of, and who you want the approval of, whereas Kylo represents anger and rebellion, they're sometimes healthy, and sometimes not, 
desire to disconnect from the parents. It's my favourite kind of quote-unquote bad guy, because you can genuinely see what their weakness is. The Force Awakens left you with many significant and answered questions. Who are Rey's parents? Why did Luke flee? Who is the mysterious villain, Supreme Leader Snoke? To the extent that The Last Jedi answers any of them, did you feel obliged to consult with JJ? If I had questions, what did you think this was going to be? What were your ideas for this? I could always ask him, but those questions only address what these characters want and how they get there. Take the question of who Ray's parents are. If you get the information, oh, it's that. Who really cares? I know a lot of people care, but it's interesting as opposed to impactful. Now, what is my place in the world? Where do I come from? Where do I belong? Okay, I understand what the weight of that is. We could play with those questions and their answers to have the biggest emotional impact on these characters. We hear a voice in the teaser trailer say it's time for the Jedi to end. Is that Luke speaking? That's him. It sounds pretty dire. That's something that we're definitely going to dig into. The heart of the movie is Luke and Rey. It follows all the other characters, but its real essence is the development of the two of them. And it's absolutely tied up in that question of, what is Luke's attitude toward the Jedi? Yeah, so I found this interview really fascinating. Um, Like, he says so much. There's so much to unpick. Um, So yeah, I think we're going to have to be conscientious about trying to um, make sure we cover everything there is to cover in terms of the interest and remarks because yeah it's easy to dig deep um what really stood out to you here Kirsty? oh there's so much <laughs> I mean <laughs> sorry I know it's a really mean question after I just said all that <laughs> uh yeah I mean it's hard to pick out just one thing I mean I just on a personal level I kind of appreciate him saying who really cares in response to a question about Ray's parents <laughs> Because I do feel like fandom has overblown that as like a central mystery of the trilogy. Like I feel like it's it's supposed to be there as a question. Yeah. Um, But that's mostly in terms of like Rey personally and her arc and how as she grows, she might realize that she doesn't actually need to find her biological parents as a place of belonging because she's found it elsewhere where she wasn't expecting to. Yeah. So that was kind of nice. Um. Obviously, the stuff about Rey and Kylo together is super interesting and the stuff about how Kylo differs from Vader because the character himself is obviously making those comparisons and finding himself lacking. Um, But fandom fandom does it too. Yes. So it's interesting to see how the director perceives them as different characters because we've talked before about how, since Star Wars is a fairy tale, um, gender and age dynamics really matter between the characters if you're looking at where things might go in terms of their how they foster each other's development. Mm -hmm. And if we're looking at Rey and Kylo, yes, they're the Luke and Vader of this trilogy, but they're not the same. It's a different dynamic because they want to tell a slightly different story. So while Luke had a father shadow figure in Vader and kind of like he wanted to... Am I getting the interviews mixed up here, actually? Am I talking about... Um, No, no, he talks about Vader as the father. Okay, because I know he said similar things in lots of different places. So yeah, I yeah, just, no, yeah. I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's different because Kylo, yes, he's the villain of this trilogy, but he is on Ray's level in terms of generational dynamics. Yeah. Um, so he's a young man who's kind of mirroring her shared sense of loneliness and isolation and 
abandonment. Yeah. Um, not for the same reasons, obviously. His upbringing has been different, but we'll learn more about that as the story progresses. But the, we've talked before about that he's not just um, her shadow, he's her animus. Yeah. So when when Ryan is talking about them being two halves of a protagonist, that's presumably what he's referring to, that you can look at The Force Awakens and see how they mirror each other and they're foils for each other, but that there's some kind of connection there. Yeah. Um, So it's very encouraging to get these comments because I know some people who saw this in The Force Awakens, um, well, myself included, the fandom at large has kind of told us that we were seeing things um, and that it wasn't really there. And a lot of people haven't been interested in exploring this element of the story, even though it clearly is central, especially according to Ryan now. um, So we can expect that to be developed further. So it's just kind of nice to get that reassurance that we weren't crazy and didn't just see things that weren't there yeah they're totally it's really great validation for like what's certainly been your reading and my reading of this film like he's he basically seems to have approached the force awakens in a similar way to how we approached it and that he saw that film and the main thing that grabbed his attention was that dynamic to rain was that dynamic with rain kylo and how they are very complementary figures so you can't have one without the other. It's the whole yin-yang idea. And yeah, it goes back to the whole space bear concept where the space bear is a panda and the panda is a composite of all these white and dark elements and they meld together to form a whole. So I think by saying that the characters are two halves of our protagonist, he is also kind of implying that they need each other in order to be complete and that they're not really like a whole being as they currently are, which is perhaps the source of their problems. That's all a bit vague and wishy-washy, but does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think sometimes when we say things like that, that Ray needs Kylo, I think people think that we're coming at it from an anti-feminist lens. Yeah. Uh, but that it's all about the obligations of the plot and the fact that the characters are supposed to represent different parts of the psyche. Yes. So it's not supposed to be literal, woman needs man. <laughs> Yeah, I don't um, mean it in the sense that like Ray needs Kylo to fix the speed up for her <laughs> and like um, do all the DIY around the house. It's like, no. Yeah, it's about the dynamics between the characters saying something larger about humanity as a whole. Yeah. Um, and th- so this part where he talks about Kylo being his favorite kind of quote unquote bad guy, this is exciting for me because this is something that I've had my suspicions about for a while as to why Ryan Johnson might have been interested in or approached for the project. Mm-hmm. Because I've read interviews with him before when he's talking about his other films, Brick and Looper, and he said similar things about why he finds certain kinds of antagonists really compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just kind of a nice little bonus to me that I, I kind of confirmed that connection for me, why he... I he is so interested in this character and he says in um, the Empire interview that we'll talk about later that he can see things in Kylo that make him relatable to the audience mm-hmm. um, so yeah that was just interesting to see yeah what were the comments Ryan made about um, what he likes in villains like what does attract him in those kinds of characters that you can really understand why they're doing things yes so I don't have the other quotes to hand because they're from several years ago mm-hmm. Um but that he's not interested in bad guys who are bad for the sake of it. Um, and he's also just not interested in like a simple sob story either. Yeah. It's that you can really 
relate to how someone gets from A to B based on what things happen to them and how they're making those choices. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're the right choices, but that there's meaning in the story. There's meaning in their arc. Um, and that, yeah, I mean, that's that's what villains are for, right? They show you like a shadow side of the hero. Yeah. They're supposed to be connected to them. Totally. So it's, it's like, a, this is what could have happened to you had you made a different choice. Yeah, exactly. And um, I really do think that by saying quote-unquote bad guy, he's really like driving home that point where it's like, well, it's kind of really a bad guy. So I think from the kind, from the way he's talking about the character, I think it's quite clear that Ryan thinks about Kylo much as Adam thinks about Kylo. He doesn't really think of him as an evil guy or a villainous guy. He just treats him as a human and a character, like in the first instance, who's obviously done terrible things. But he's not interested in putting him in like the villain box and then treating him accordingly. He's interested in really characterizing him on a deep level and investigating his like motives and reasons for being how he is like he is. And that's so exciting to me. Yeah, there's this thing where people, as we'll get to later with the, the whole Twitter thing, um, I think some people have interpreted this as Ryan letting Kylo off the hooks for his bad actions. But that's mm. not what I don't think that's what he's saying. There's no debate over the fact that Kylo's done bad things. That's a fact. That's yeah. part of the story. The narrative does not condone his actions. When he murders Han Solo, it's supposed to be a bad thing. Um, but that's also not that interesting in and of itself. Like, yes, you could have a villain who does bad things, but don't you want to know why? Don't you know, want to know how he got there? Yeah. And whether he has the capacity to change? Because he is presented as conflicted. Yeah. That's ba- that's baked in. So where do you go now? Like, it's it's interesting. Exactly. Yeah. So it's great because Ryan, he just seems to have the right priorities when it comes to his storytelling. And that makes me so excited. <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah. Like you said before, the stuff that he says about Ray's parents is really cool. And it really is just driving home that point where it's like, guys, it's really not that important. <laughs> like he, from when he says it's interesting as opposed to impactful that pretty clearly says to me that is not like the discovery of the identities of her parents is going to radically change Ray's story their their identities are not going to be the point so, right their their plot device, devices as opposed to the journey or the purpose of the journey yeah i think some people came away from the force awakens really thinking that Ray's journey was about her finding her family, mm. um, like this whole Anastasia kind of thing. But it's it's almost the opposite for me that it's and this is a very common trope that you have these orphan children who grow up and like take this journey through adolescence and adulthood, and then find a place where they belong that wasn't what they were expecting. Yeah, like that's the journey of self discovery. Yeah. So, so like even that, in, that even happens in Anastasia, to be honest, but like it's in the cartoon. I suppose, yeah. In the cartoon, obviously, the character is motivated by this desire to find her family together in Paris. But the end isn't her settling down to live happily ever after with her grandmother. It's her falling in love and going off with her boyfriend. Because, like, it's not a very grown up thing to do to move in with your grandmother, no matter how happy and delighted you are to rediscover each other. Like, the step that marks that character entering to maturity and womanhood is that I found this person who I love and we want to spend our lives together. Obviously, that's not the inevitable end point of like 
every story, or indeed this story, is not the inevitable end point of Ray's story. Um, but like it's a more common trope than the one where the heroine starts off desiring to find her family as like a woman in her like late teens, early twenties, and that kind of story doesn't often end with her settling down happily and living with her family. Do, do you know what I mean? Oh, definitely, because coming-of-age stories are about letting go of... Like, par- parents are symbolic of childhood in fairy tales. Yeah. Or that, that that refusal to let go. So you can see in The Force Awakens, Kylo has let go of his parents by killing one of them. So obviously that's a very extreme way of handling it, and it's the inverse of Rey who wants to be reunited with them. Yeah. But I think the overall, across the trilogy, they're going to end up finding some kind of balance because... Um, that's that's the theme there right so there there's a conflict um and daisy said before she doesn't understand how kylo could ever do that but that means there's going to be some kind of resolution in the end it's so interesting and i love that um the whole thing where ryan is actually talking about that dynamic with rain kylo i love that that's actually entering the conversation now because for the longest time it really did feel like there was just a blackout on any discussion of it at all in the media and it was just getting in to become a bit of a joke because like to many people in the audience that was a very very key part of the force awakens and it did feel a bit like gaslighting sometimes it was like well does it not matter like what's going on you know that is what contributed to that feeling people outside of our corner of fandom might just find this so strange to hear but that is what it felt like for a long time that we were being told that we were imagining things that this wasn't that important because no one involved was talking about it even though you did get elements of it in like jj abrams blu-ray commentary but it was still veiled because obviously he was trying to keep the mystery alive Mm. um and again this doesn't mean we know exactly where it's going for these characters but it's just nice to have it like yes that is that was there and it was important and it will be explored further yeah so yeah that was super intriguing um and again like ryan returns to com- a comment he's made several times before where he describes um ray and luke as the beating heart of the film and yeah he said this several times and i absolutely do think that the relationship between ray and luke is going to be pivotal but I'm not sure if things could be pivotal in the way many people expect it to be. So I think lots of people have visions of like Yoda and Luke and they're imagining that just stretched out for a whole movie or like um, Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid, you know, that kind of mentor dynamic where they win the day in the end and it's all happy and togetherness and greatness and stuff. Um, and I really don't think that's going to be the point of the relationship between Ray and Luke. I think it's going to be as much about seeing how those characters develop through the good and the bad so I think there's going to be lots of conflict between them and lots of like disagreement and tension as well as lots of like progress and learning from each other and being inspired by each other and so on and so forth so I think people get like the warm fuzzies from these comments I think it might be wise to like hedge your bets a bit like would you think do you think that's fair Kirsty? It's kind of hard to say at this point because there's so little and they they kind of are emphasizing that as the central relationship, aside from comments like the ones that Ryan just gave us about Ray and Kylo. Um, Overall, in the press so far, it has been very Ray and Luke centric. Mm. And no, Luke doesn't look particularly happy about it. And we've been told 
he's a bit get off my lawn. But I think people are still working with the assumption that he eventually agrees to train her because you see that in the teaser and everything. But the whole thing like you were just describing with like the karate kid, I feel like that's not enough of an interesting arc for Luke, let alone Ray. Yeah. I feel like he deserves more to chew on, yeah. to be honest. There's going to be some twists and turns. Yeah. Because like I think the whole expectation for many people is that Luke starts off the film in a funk he doesn't want to go back he doesn't want to re-enter the fight but then Ray comes along and she shows him the error of his ways and he's like right I want to rejoin the fight I want to get back into it and I want to train you and be your master blah 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 and while I certainly think that will be an element of it I think it's going to be a lot more complicated than that I think there's going to be more twists and turns and unexpected directions for the story because yeah otherwise like you say it would be really straightforward I think there's yeah. going to be more to it than that. I would hope so, because otherwise they've kind of already given us everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and, and Ryan said, like, none of this stuff is spoilery, what you're seeing. So they've given us the setup, but it can't be where things go. Yeah. Um, otherwise, there's just not going to be much surprise watching this movie. Yeah, so I think we have to see, like, other characters enter the fray as well. Like, these two characters, Ray and Luke, they can't just exist in a bubble onto themselves with that bubble in Act 2, there need to be these like agents of chaos entering the picture to mix things up and to introduce other perspectives and challenges. Because, yeah, otherwise it's just too static. Yeah, for sure. I think that's what we're going to get in the form of characters like Kylo. Because yeah. even if he's not physically present, Luke's story is irrevocably twisted up with what happened to Ben, right? Yeah, totally. Um, and just to spin back towards the beginning of the interview comments, um, it's interesting because Ryan certainly alludes to the event known as Plotgate, which is obviously the widespread fan panic that there was no plan for the sequel trilogy and that the filmmakers are just allowed to do whatever the hell they want. But I really do think that Ryan is trying to moderate that a bit. When he says it's the second film in the trilogy, um, it's part of a wider picture, blah, blah, blah. And I think it's really reassuring and good that he really drills down to the level of saying, well, I was given the script for The Force Awakens, I was shown the dailies for The Force Awakens, I was allowed to talk to JJ about where he thought things were going to go and what he was setting up, etc., etc. Because all that stuff, it shows that it's not like Ryan was like, yippee i can do whatever the hell i want i'm gonna throw out this i'm gonna throw out this tfa nonsense and just write my own thing la 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 like it's not like that at all it shows that it's really fundamental that this film is a sequel to the force awakens and that it really is going to be taking the seeds that that film laid down and growing them and developing them further and that's so reassuring to me and so exciting so that's all i wanted to hear basically just like don't have all these films exist in a vacuum onto themselves and not really integrate well with one another because that would just be so bad. Oh yeah, exactly. He's basically confirming that there's a trilogy being made here for a reason. Um, so he says, like, I didn't want it to end with dot, 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 question mark. So he's going to answer some questions that we had from the end of The Force Awakens. They're just not necessarily going to be the ones that people are asking him about in terms of like who are Ray's parents who's Snoke because they're not the major questions that he took away from The Force Awakens yeah um and I happen to agree with him that they didn't they weren't raised as the central mysteries even though some people think they were yeah 
no absolutely um is there anything else from this interview that you'd like to highlight or um bring it to people's attention to Kirsty? i think we've covered everything from this one anyway i tried to be good and go back over it piece by piece to make sure we caught all <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah there's, there's still plenty to come yeah definitely um right then the next segment and the final segment in news actually so we're doing quite well for time is that empire magazine had some coverage of the last jedi and this article it had a few nice new pictures including a really cool one of finn and rose in oh yeah i love that one it really was cool and it's such a shippy picture it's like <laughs> those comments like about no romance. It's like, come on, you say that, but then you have this. It's like, what? I don't understand. Um, but yeah, anyway, it was nice pictures, but nothing could be hadn't seen before, really. So I didn't feel like it was worth discussing them one by one or anything. Um, and yeah, then there was the central article accompanying those pictures and is extremely Luke-centric. It's like Luke Skywalker, the legend, the man, the, the return, that kind of thing. Because well, wasn't Mark the only person interviewed besides from, besides Ryan? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so the article only featured interviews with Ryan and Mark, which is fine. And I think it's as much about the audience of Empire magazine as anyone as anything else, because Empire is very like typical film fans typical luke fans uber star wars fans of the old school and stuff and that's all fine all okay it just meant there wasn't as much of an emphasis on looking forward it was more about the nostalgia and how we bring about this iconic character and that kind of thing which is fine i just think no one should be looking at that article and thinking that is a true reflection of the whole sum of the film like does that make sense like um sure I mean, some people that really is going to be what they're most excited about. So mm. I don't know if they had a whole article focusing on my favorite characters, I'd be thrilled too. So oh yeah, yeah, no, sure. I don't want to like deny anyone that because yeah, like I know it's exactly what a big slice of the audience wants. Is just I'm trying to draw a line between the PR angle, which is very much what the Empire article is about, and like the fact that it's not really reflective of the whole movie like because it barely scratches the surface of it as a whole it's really only about luke essentially i guess i think with um press like this we're just gonna have to accept that it's for getting to people who haven't been paying attention for the past two years it's like people who are just becoming acquainted with it so it's like yeah there's a reminder luke skywalker's coming back that's a big deal huh you haven't seen him in 30 years um exactly We've been talking about Luke for two years now, so it's not so shiny for us, but it is for other people. Yeah, that's true. I was like reading it, and it starts off with um, like the visit to the um, vault on um, like the Lucasfilm lot, and I felt really bad. I was just reading it and feeling so jaded. I was like, I've read this so many times before. <laughs> yeah, I think we just have to remember that we're not normal for reading every single article about <laughs> Star Wars that comes out. We are so not normal (laughs) no no we are so far from normal (laughs) most people will read one article if any at all before they go and see the movie so there's going to be lots of repetition in the next couple months yeah exactly buckle your seatbelts guys like seriously i already had to be very careful about which part i selected so i didn't want to be too repetitive of the usa today article right Um, so yeah i hope i succeeded (laughs) but we will see um right anyway this is what the empire article says Writing Kylo Ren is just so much fun, says Johnson. Star Wars boils down to the transition from adolescence into adulthood. 
that's the heart of these films, and Ray's most obviously the one that hangs on, but it's also Kylo. In the originals, you project entirely onto Luke, while Vader is the scary other, he's the Minotaur. The fascinating thing about Kylo and Ray is that they're two sides of something. We can all relate to Kylo, to the anger of being in the turmoil of adolescence and figuring out who he's going to be as a man, dealing with anger and wanting to separate from his family. He's not Vader. At least he's not Vader yet. And that's something I really wanted to get into. So he's broadly making similar-ish comments to the same things he said in the USA Today article. But it's a bit of a different spin and he does say some new things. Like just the fact that he takes such joy in writing Kylo Ren is so nice to me. (laughs) I really like it. Oh yeah, and I can totally believe that he's a fun character to write. Yeah. Because he is very extra and very like, oh, tormented, tortured boy. Totally. Yeah. It's like, Um, oh, I have my little demonic (laughs) hero to work on. (laughs) But again, obviously there is crossover here, like you say, that he's comparing him with Vader, um, emphasizing the connection between Rey and Kylo thematically. Um, so all good stuff. Um, I do, as we'll get to in a second, but there has been a bit of a backlash online to his comments. When isn't there a backlash to anything online? Um, but you know, he's talking about this transition from adolescence into adulthood and it's a fairy tale. So we're not supposed to take it too literally, but a lot of people were like, but the character's 29. Why are we still talking about him being a teenager? Um, I don't think you're supposed to take it that literally. I think it's yeah. supposed to be what the characters represent. And obviously, just judging by what people have often said about Kylo, that he seems very whiny and childish, um, that kind of plays into that aspect, right? That he is still at the um, stage of adolescence of trying to figure out what he even wants. Yeah. Um, you know, what he believes and what he stands for, just like Ray and Finn. So, yes, they might have these different ages, but thematically they're of the same generation and then they're in the same fairy tale. So, yeah, I think people just need to chill with that stuff. Yeah, and it's always really fascinating to me when um, people like complain about like Kylo's whininess and how he's so whiny and emo and blah, blah, blah. And they're all describing him in these terms as if it was some kind of miscalculation or error by the filmmakers. But it's like, no, that's the whole intent the whole intent is that he's meant to be very immature and very young seeming because those qualities, yes, they don't make him like a hardcore badass like you might want him to be, but they do make him like this adolescent, this young man going through this transition. And that is the point of the character. That is what they wanted to do with Kylo Ren because he is one of the protagonists. (laughs) I know that's hard for some people to accept and I and I get that because I understand that he has been very much positioned as the villain and he's done lots of really really bad shit but it doesn't change the fact that he is one of the characters where we're digging deep into his perspective and we're following his journey and we're seeing him evolve and we're seeing him go on an arc of development you know all those things they define a protagonist and yeah, everything that Ryan is saying across the board in all of these interviews is really driving that point home more, which makes me really happy because I feel like I've been fighting the fight for that interpretation of the character and his position in the story like ever since just after The Force Awakens came out and I have had to deal with such a backlash from that. I got such like intense hate mail and oh god, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, this again, it probably sounds crazy to 
people who don't engage in fandom on places like Tumblr, which are aggressively anti-Kylo. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of people seem to have interpreted the story as if Kylo is this avatar of white male privilege. And to be fair, there is supposed to be a certain amount of entitlement in the way he conducts himself, that he is this legacy child who feels this weight of being Vader's grandson, right? And that is contrasted with Rey being a scavenger and Finn being a stormtrooper. But it's not supposed to be the sum of the character. And he is Han and Leia's son, which makes him, by necessity, important to the story. Yeah. So a lot of people were just kind of hoping that he'd be a bad guy for them to defeat and then run off together. But it's just not going to be that simple. And that's never really what Star Wars is. Vader was always very important. Yeah. Um, so I know it's a bitter pill for people to swallow because... And I completely get it, being mad at Kylo after The Force Awakens. You're supposed to be. Yeah. But... I think people just need to have a bit of an open mind about where things are going because, you know, th- this is coming from the director now and not even the director of The Force Awakens, even though J.J. has said similar things. This is about the next film in the trilogy and this is what the director thinks of him. So it's probably a little bit of a brace yourself for certain pockets of the fandom. Yeah, exactly. It's about asking people to prepare themselves for where that character is going to go. Obviously, it doesn't yeah. give you a sense of his end point, but it gives you a sense of the general attitude with which they're approaching him yeah and it definitely doesn't mean that he's just gonna have his crimes wiped away as if they didn't happen Mm. i think i've seen that as as well from people like oh he's woobifying him he doesn't even think of him as a bad guy it's really not that black and white yeah it's that he's done bad things but for interesting reasons that the plot will uncover exactly um yeah I, i just love all of this it's all really cool and appealing to me um and yeah like i I feel a bit smug and saying all this but it just is like corresponding so well to like where we thought things were going and yeah just that whole validation thing is really nice yeah it's not even just where we thought things were going like we said it was about the force awakens as well because our reading of it really wasn't very popular especially in the early days yeah um so yeah it is nice but yeah you don't want to be too snug about it because obviously like we said we don't know where things are going exactly yeah we can always have the rug pulled out from under us so (laughs) sure i don't have a fixed idea of where things are going anyway it's just like this character was important and will matter to the story and that seemed to be like an you know a fair assumption to make given what the force awakens presented to us but it was still still controversial to people for some reason yeah no, it's a very like modest expectation, I think. And the final part is where we're going to discuss some tweets from Ryan. Um, we can call this, it came from Twitter, if you like. Um, and yeah, Ryan has just been complete gold on Twitter because the aforementioned interviews, which we have just discussed, they have prompted lots of discussion, basically. And that has included lots of people tagging Ryan in their tweets to ask him questions and to like say, what the hell are you doing, man? And Ryan has come up with some great answers. So, yeah, I'm just going to go through some of the conversations he's had. Um, right, and then the first one went a bit like this. So, first one was from one user who said, I don't relate to Kylo Ren's struggles to become an adult because mine don't didn't involve fascism and murder. Also, the dude is twenty nine. Question mark. Question mark. Then Ryan said, 
While sure, but you relate to Luke, although you've never fought in a galactic army or been beheaded by your half-robot father. Then someone else said, One would hope it's easier for audiences to imagine fighting a galactic army than being a fascist. Then Ryan, It's not about imagining doing what the character is literally doing on screen. Right. Then someone else, kind of taking like Ryan's side, said, Empathy isn't agreement with. It's basically trying to understand why. That's why it's possible to relate to so many different characters. And then one of the tweets from before said, I understand that, but I think it can be dangerous to create empathy for certain characters and their actions. This stuff isn't in a vacuum. And Ryan, sure, if you're making triumph of the will, but to say it's dangerous to recognise darker fragments of our psyches and characters negates the power, and arguably the purpose of, storytelling. So, yeah, I love that whole Twitter exchange. What's your yeah, thoughts on it, Kirsty? I think this is when fandom as activism meets the storytellers <laughs> there's yeah. going to be these kind of two separate conversations going on because people do seem to think well a part of this i think was people getting concerned that because he talked about carlo and ray he was forgetting about finn as a protagonist mm. which I, I just don't think was the case i think he was just he happened to be talking about ray and carlo um but i uh, the other thing is people like we said before kind of taking it a bit too literally that, oh, he's 29, therefore you can't see him as a teenager. And Ryan's saying it's more about the emotional journeys of the characters. Yeah. Um, and I really appreciated this because I know we all project onto characters too much. That's kind of what they're there for. Yeah. Um, and so, so our interpretations are very personal. But I relate strongly to Ray and Kylo for the same reason. Um, so for me, it was always apparent that they were connected, even if they are kind of on inverse sides of the story mm-hmm. um so as jj has said it's two disparate pieces coming together to form something that means something to a wider narrative yeah um but i think this is the thing people are taking kylo in isolation and just thinking that's a bad person he's done bad things and especially because of today's political climate we need to make an example of him mm. but i just think that there's more to the character than what some people are seeing yeah, it's not about excusing the bad things that he's done. It's that acknowledging that this is a fantasy story, and that there's going to be certain elements that are heightened to create drama, um, but they're not supposed to be taken as as terrible as if they happened in real life because it's mythology. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really, really well put. Like, so I think that's like the crux of this is that if you like take the standpoint. That you can't like make an evil character go on like a redemptive journey, for example, because of like the real world political climate and what message does that send? Think of the children, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you take that stance, then you're really inhibiting storytellers, and you're really limiting the kinds of stories they're allowed to tell. You're basically saying, "Oh no, 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 no! This isn't morally correct." We need to keep all our stories very, very moral and very instructive. And the good children always need to be rewarded and the bad children always need to be punished. Um, And that does not work as storytelling. And it never has. Like, even in fairy tales, it's more complicated than that. You find, like, ambiguous characters in fairy tales. Well, they do crappy things and they'll make mistakes and they will be morally questionable sometimes. But that doesn't mean they are forsaken and that there is no hope for those characters and that they can't go on to do good things. Because 
that'd be really predictable and empty storytelling to be honest because what substance is there because then you'd always know how every single story was going to end because you'd be like oh he's a bad person he's done evil things that means he is going to have a bad ending and there's no hope for him you know like if you take that approach then i think it's just a bit sad from a creative point of view well the thing that i don't understand is that star wars is very moral in its storytelling it's just not um, completely black and white in that people can't switch sides or good people can't make bad decisions and yeah. bad people can't make good decisions because that is real life. Yeah. You know, we are all made up of good and bad. Mm. You can't neatly categorize people. Yeah. Um, and it's not the same as I mean, some people I've seen really equate this to like real life events as if it's Ryan is the equivalent of Donald Trump saying that there were people on both sides, you know, which oh, is no, just really? ludicrous. Yes, I've seen pe- I've seen that. God. It's absolutely ludicrous. This is, is Star Wars. You had Anakin Skywalker become Darth Vader, and then he returned as Anakin Skywalker. Like it's a, and it's not even just that. It's that's the crux of it because that's the previous six films. But that's a theme that Star Wars has explored over and over in supplementary material. Like it's at its core. George Lucas yeah. was always very clear about that, and it's quite a religious spiritual message as well that no matter how badly people can fall they can do terrible things there they always have the option to turn it around and it's not about excusing what they've done it's about them facing up to it and making a change because that's what's the right thing to do yeah so absolutely this idea that it's dangerous to create empathy for characters is bizarre to me and it sounds like it's bizarre to ryan too yeah. You have to empathize with those dark characters because that's what allows us to look at our own terrible actions and in our real lives and examine our behavior mm. and make changes. Like this is at the crux of a lot of fairy tales. This is storytelling for children to teach them right from wrong, but also that if they make mistakes, it's not the end of the world that they still have an opportunity to turn it around. Yeah, exactly. And that's really beautiful. I think that's a, the best kind of message because yeah in real life we wouldn't treat people like kylo as they're going to be treated in in a fictional story but that isn't the point (laughs) because like ryan keeps on saying the point isn't that you are literally going out to kill your father that's not the terms in which we relate with kylo the point is that you can relate to the feelings of anger and resentment and disappointment and betrayal you know you can relate to those core emotions rather than the actions and people lose sight of that and yeah just it's a shame yeah i mean it just comes down to i i do think if people are unable to let that very literal interpretation of the story go i don't see how they're going to enjoy it because you can't get past that you can't be like oh he literally killed his father therefore i could never forgive that of course in real life that's an unforgivable like that's a terrible crime Mm. like it's just that's not what they're trying to say with the story because yeah. this isn't real life like that's otherwise why would anyone tell stories exactly I, just, I feel like we're really stating the obvious here but it's <laughs> sometimes not... the obvious needs to be stated <laughs> han solo isn't a real person he didn't really die it's a plot yeah. device exactly <laughs> and it helped an actor who wanted to get out of um, a <laughs> iconic role so win-win <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness 
Um, right, then to move on, the next couple of tweets that I'd like to talk about is a very brief exchange, and it's someone asking, In the New York Times interview, you say Rage Kylo are dual protagonists. If Kylo isn't an antagonist, how can we reconcile patricide? Ryan, how indeed. <laughs> um, yeah, it's very brief, that's literally it. But I liked this one because by saying how indeed... I really do get the impression he's saying that that is a good question to ask because it's a question that The Last Jedi will explore as well. Would you agree with that, Kirsty? I guess. It's a non-answer in that obviously he can't answer it because that's yeah. a spoiler. But like mm-hmm. you say, that probably means it's something that's going to come up. It's just he's saying, we'll see. Exactly. Which is your favourite catchphrase as well. So you and Ryan have a lot in common, Kirsty. I mean, what's he going to do? Spoil the arc on Twitter? <laughs> Well, you see, this is how you reconcile it. <laughs> don't worry, it's totally cool. <laughs> oh, God, it's amazing. Um, right. Then a ne- another exchange. Ooh. We have a Twitter user. Did you not see Finn as a main protagonist in Force Awakens? Just Rey and Kylo Ren? Because that's disheartening, if so. Ryan, I absolutely do. And in The Last Jedi as well. These movies have multiple protagonists. Thank you so much for saying this. Ryan, totally understand. Can't promise any of the characters will be, do, what anyone hopes they will, but I love Finn and his hope and love his journey in this movie. So yeah, again, I really feel that's stating the obvious, but I think that exchange is a great demonstration of how tactful Ryan is and how good he is at dealing with fans. Like, he doesn't just like brush people's concerns aside. Like, he actually listens to people and he's like, no, 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 don't worry. I have this in mind, you know, which is nice. Yeah. I feel like, again, this is coming back to a Tumblr side of fandom that our listeners might not be familiar with. But just to quickly explain, there is this rhetoric on Tumblr and has been since The Force Awakens came out that if you're a Kylo fan, you can't also be a Finn fan. You have Mm. to pick one. So if Ryan is saying that Kylo is a protagonist, somehow it's saying that Finn isn't one which is Mm. just not the case. Like, it's very clear in The Force Awakens that Finn, Rey, and Kylo all have character arcs that are all very important and crucial to the plot. So, yeah, this is kind of Tumblr mentality spilling over into actual direct contact with the creators, which is a bit awkward. Always is. (laughs) Yeah. But Ryan's so nice about it, bless him. (laughs) It's like, oh. Um, And then just finally... Like, again, to demonstrate what a sweetheart Ryan is. Um, Someone said to him, Sorry about the mean tweets fans may send you. They're so focused on what they want and sometimes forget to see the bigger picture. A very astute observation. (laughs) And then Ryan said, Thanks. The truth is most aren't mean. And I think it's awesome that people care enough about these characters to be protective of them. It's very diplomatic. (laughs) It's very, very diplomatic. We'll see if he keeps his patience in the next few months. Yeah, I was about to say, right now he has, like, patience of a saint, but it might run out <laughs> i wouldn't blame him if it does i mean he could just stop responding to people you know he doesn't have an obligation to do this but it's nice that he does it is yeah it's really nice and i think fans do find it quite reassuring um yeah i mean i tweeted at him myself yesterday because i wanted to thank him for the comments and also explain why i personally relate to ray and kylo equally mm-hmm. um for the same reason um so it is nice to see this thing's like that to see these comments and feel validated mm. um but 
there's obviously going to be the reverse side of that. If your understanding of the story is very different or if you're worried about your favorite character being sidelined, you're going to also want to message him and check because this is the reality of today's social media climate. These people are a tweet away. So it's it's too tempting not to sometimes. Very much so. Yeah. Uh, the boons and the dangers of social media. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Wow. I think that's probably a good point to wrap things up unless there's anything else you'd like to say, Kirsty? Um, you mean about the tweets or... Just generally, general. really. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I was, like I said, I was hoping that we would get news about the new director by now because um, mm-hmm. it's been, what, five days maybe? Yeah. Um, but maybe we'll have one by the next time we do a podcast. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, fingers crossed. It's very exciting. <laughs> yeah, I think Ryan is supposed to be doing a press event in Japan early this week. So it's possible that if it is him that they would announce it then. But yeah. That is just complete speculation. There's nothing to yeah. back it up. To be honest, I can't believe that they wouldn't have already had talks with, like, say, Ryan and other potential directors before they made that announcement on the Star Wars oh, website. I th- yeah, I think whoever it is, I think they had them lined up because, yeah. like you say, that's a big thing to do if you don't have an alternative right there. Yeah, so. exactly. There has to be, like, someone else who can come in and fill their shoes. Yeah, so, yeah. just working out timing for whatever reason. Exactly. Oh my god, <laughs> the precipice of something is exciting. Um, right, I think we'll leave the show there for today. But yeah, it's been a really good one, and there's been so much to talk about, and it's probably only going to get more and more exciting as we get closer to the last Jedi. So yeah, fun times. Um, I'm Rachel, and you can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye! Bye!